This podcast is sponsored by Pearson, the team that brings you the self, Goldman Fristo, and now the new PPVT5 and EVT3. Enjoy a special 10% pre-publication discount when you order these vocabulary tests before December 31st, 2018. Learn more at pearsonclinical.com backslash PPVT5. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. How are you doing, Chris? This has been a fantastic week, Rachel. I've been waiting all week to tell you about all the cool stuff that's been happening. I'm so excited. Hit me with it. All right. So first, do you remember how I had Eleanor come stay with me? We did an episode with her, uh, the person, one of the people from Australia that we've had on the show. Yes. Well, this week I had someone stay with me for four days uh, from Canada. And he has also been on the show. It was Sean Pearson, who is an AAC specialist up in Calgary. And he came and stayed with me for four days, uh, palled around, uh, went to different schools and saw some different things. And we brainstormed and, uh, and chatted and just had a, had a great time. And my wife is like, how often are we going to have these AAC people coming? I'm like, as often as they want. Who wants to come? AAC people, I get to learn from them and they get to see what we're doing in, in, our, in our neck of the woods. And it's just great collaboration. Uh, so it was a really exciting time. Sean was a, a, a great person to have here. And I, Sean, myself, and Chris, who was also on the podcast, when we did that agreements episode, the AAC agreements, we're taking that show on the road and we're going to be at ATIA this year. We're doing that, uh, that uh, kind of a live session. We're going to try and do another AAC agreements there uh, and try and get people to, to come up with what are these things that we agree upon? What are some sort of standards that we agree upon that should be something we consider in every case for AAC? I love that. And I actually forgot about that episode, but that's a really great one. So if you guys haven't listened to that, definitely go back. Um, it was Chris Lucas and I, and we all came to the table not knowing what everyone else's agreements were. Um, and we kind of shared, we shared live. Um, so it was a, that was a really good one. Yeah. Now, one of the things that Sean got to see, and one of the first uh, times I've ever done this, was uh, we worked at an elementary school where we had a technology resource teacher. Now they're called IFTs, Instructional Facilitators for Technology. But they're like the technology coaches in the school, right? They work with integrating technology in every classroom. They're not specific to special education. And uh, we met with this technology resource teacher to talk about uh, how we could take robots and put them in an autism classroom and teach kids corporal vocabulary with the robots. And so then as we were talking, like we were coming up with this plan, we were playing with the robots and we was like, why don't we just go do it? And we walked over and talked to the, the autism teacher and she was like, yeah, here. And she grabbed a kid and pulled him out in the hallway. And uh, I sat down with his, uh, in this case, he happened to have lamp words for life. So I sat down next to him and started modeling on his device while someone controlled the robot from an iPad. And so when he would hit turn or when I would model turn, the robot would spin around and go, wee, wee, wee. Right, and make these fun noises and but spin in a circle and then we'd go um go and it would go off straight and then it would stop and wait there for a second and i'd say play and all of a sudden the lights would start flashing you know and then the kids started doing it he started pressing play and go and 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 turn right and watch the things spin around uh and so it was this really engaging fun moment where it was like you know all, so many other kids in the school get to play with robots and program them and do coding with them and now this kid was starting to down that path right first it starts with his communication device just giving the robot really verbal commands but then our, our we've already set up a, our next meeting we get back together and say okay uh, how are we going to get him coding now like uh, how can we get him to drive drop the little blocks together to make the robot 
go and turn and play. Right. And so it's just super exciting day. Like we all walked out of that day. Like, yeah, that we just killed it today. You know, we just taught a kid vocabulary using robots. That's what it's all about. And I love the, the impromptu, right? It's like, okay, let's just like grab it and go. And I feel like it's just so great when you have a teacher that's just down, you know, down for whatever comes up. And I think that a lot of times we get stuck, um, both speech therapists and teachers and sometimes parents, we have this idea in our head, like, oh, I'm going to go into my session and I'm going to do this. Um, you know, but the, I think the best sessions are the ones where you just kind of follow, you know, a child's motivation and a child's lead and what gets them excited. And I think that that's exactly what you guys did. And that's the best kind of therapy. Uh, me too. Me too. The kind of off the cuff, uh, off the top of your head, make it happen. I mean, we did do a little planning just to make sure we knew how the, the robots would work and how we could kind of organize the sessions so that one person could control the robot. So there was a little bit of planning, but when we, we weren't planning on actually doing that lesson today. We were talking about, you know, talking to the speech therapist, talking to the autism teacher another day. And then we just said, you know, why, why, why not? Why? Let's just do it. Let's just try it. You know? So something else happened though, Rachel, that's not my only cool story. So the other cool story is that, you know, Sean was with me for four days and I was like, four days with Chris is going to be like too much. Like you got to go be with somebody else for a day. Uh, And because not every day is playing with robots. You know what I mean? Some of it is just working and answering emails and and doing stuff that you just, we'd be sitting at a table together all day, not, um, not doing anything fun, playing with cool apps and cool kids. So I um, actually asked Sean to go visit with one of my other colleagues. Her name's Katie. And so Katie was kind of picking Sean's brain about uh, touch chat. And then uh, when I went to pick him up at the end of the day, we all got in a conversation and she was talking about how she was trying some strategies for students with CBI. And I was like, well, you're not gonna believe this, but just did an episode with Aaron Sheldon that was one of our more recent episodes. And so you should you know, check it out. And so that was really cool because I got to share the podcast. Katie had already known about it, but she didn't know about one of our more recent episodes. Part of that conversation is she was using this low tech system where she had a Xerox box top, okay? You can picture that, this cardboard box. And she had put, uh, in this case, uh, the homepage for Lamp Words for Life. The kid that she was talking about with uh, CDI, they were thinking of trying Lamp Words for Life. But then we had a conversation about, are the icons too small? But this is what they were originally trying, right? So she had Lamp Words for Life pasted on the inside of this Xerox box, right? Just the home screen. And then she took a mask over top of it that was um, black and white, and she cut out certain parts, you know, certain words of this mask, right? So just follow along with here for a second. She has this black and white version of, of, of home screen of Lamp Words for Life. She cuts out a, a number of words. She takes that black and white piece, and she places it over the colored piece within this cardboard box, and then she gives that to the student. The idea being that your communication device is in this box. and we're going to have this contrast in colors between the black and white symbols and the ones we're focusing on today, which are the colored symbols that are sneaking out through the windows that she has cut through. And I was just like, that's amazing. I would have never thought to, to try that. It's a, to how to provide a high contrast between the words you're working on in the targeted session and the other words that are on the device. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's awesome. My first thing is, did you take a picture? Because I feel like I would love to see a picture of that. Sean, Sean did. I'll get it from him. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, he's taking 
Well, maybe, maybe we can just, we can add that to the, to the Facebook group. Cause I feel like that would be awesome to see. I, I definitely was following with what you were saying, but I feel like I'm a visual learner as most of the, most of the kids that we work with are too. But I, I really like that. I like that idea of the different uh, kind of targeting vocabulary. Right. And I also like the idea that it's, that's big, you know, cause I think a lot of times we, we don't really know what a child is capable of because sometimes they have access issues and sometimes, you know, things are too small and they can't, you know, see um, the little tiny icons. Honestly, sometimes I can't see the little tiny icons. Um, So I feel like that's, that's really cool. You know, and, and I am so envious of these therapists and these people who are just so resourceful. They just yeah. like, they have this idea and they're like, all we need is like a Xerox box, some laminated sheets, some duct tape. And I'm like, they like MacGyver this system or this thing to trial. And it's just, it's really, it's really admirable. Yeah, we were brainstorming afterwards and, and uh, we were talking, not even afterwards, we were brainstorming the three of us together, and which is awesome, right? You get three speech therapists together talking about how to make this communication system better. And one of the things that Katie said is she's like, you know, I'm thinking that maybe version two of this would be painting the Xerox box black so that there's a black background that this whole thing is sitting on or possibly yellow so that the whole thing I'm keying on, this whole thing is, 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 is bright and standing out to me. I was like, yeah, these are great ideas. Like you never know, but I guess it'd be a good thing to try. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's half the, half the battle sometimes is just being open to trying different things. And sometimes they don't work and it's like, okay. Um, But I feel like that act of trying different things when you have a tricky case that doesn't, you know, kind of fit, um, you know, maybe one of the molds that a lot of kids fit into. I think that that's the name of the game is like not giving up and just trying a bunch of things that, you know, might work. Now, there's something else, Rachel. So afterwards, uh, Katie sends me a text message. And she says, Chris, I, I downloaded the, the, the episode and I'm listening to it now. It's awesome. Thank you so much. This is just what I need. I'm going to share it with my teachers. Awesome. She goes, but I can't leave a review or I don't know how to leave a review because I have Google Play. And I think you're talking about leaving reviews on iTunes. And I was like, yeah, you even thought about that. So first of all, Rachel, how are we doing? Guys, we have 83. And I'm, I'm getting a little nervous. We only have a little bit of time left. We're in December 2018, circling, you know, to a close. And we still have, a, what is it, 17? 17, 17 reviews to go to get to 100 reviews before the end of the year. So if you haven't, please, please, please go on iTunes, leave a review. Please send me, you can send me a direct message if you're having a hard time figuring out how to leave a review. I already gave a tutorial to my mom, so I, uh, I'd be happy to, to walk you through it. Um, you know, you definitely, you do have to go to the iTunes store, which I think kind of throws people off a little bit. Maybe we should do a video. Maybe we should do like a, a screen video of, of how to I do think, it. I think there is one. I think Luke, our producer, put one in the Facebook group. I think it's like even... Maybe did he pin it at the top or something like that? I'm yes, pretty sure that you're correct. Actually, but it, would, it occurred to me, Rachel, that when Katie tried to do it with her Google Play, is that that could be why we are not we're getting we're close we're close, but there's not everyone is an iTunes user, you know. Yeah. So there might be a whole engine of people out there that are listening to the podcast that are Google people, you know, or they're listening through some sort of other service. So in which case, we might not get a review for them, but let us know. It'd be great to know if you went to the Facebook group and said, yeah, that's exactly it. You keep telling me to leave a, an iTunes review, but I don't have iTunes or I don't use iTunes. I use Google. We'd love to know that too. 
Absolutely. Um, I want to share a review from uh, Sharon, who says, I listen to quite a few SLP podcasts on a regular basis, but as a pediatric travel therapist, this is the one I have found to be most delightfully fascinating, research-based, client-centered, and useful. I love to listen to this podcast throughout my day as I travel client to client because I typically learn an illustration or piece of research or new strategy immediately needed in my session that day. Thank you for the rich and interesting learning experience. Please don't stop. So, ah, man, I just love these. They just make me so happy to hear that the the talking and the discussions that we have on here are really relevant to people. Yeah, me too. It makes you know that we're what we're doing is really helping. Now, Rachel, the Facebook group has been hopping lately. It hasn't ever. I went on there. I forget what day it was. And I was like, whoa, so many people are posting and giving us episode ideas. And there was a a really, really interesting discussion. So one of our listeners, she says, I would love to hear a discussion on the podcast about how private speech therapists can better partner with school-based therapists during the assessment period when different devices are being tried with our students. A huge challenge that I'm facing right now is that students are being matched with devices without any input from the school team and school SLP. I don't doubt that there's good evidence that they're being matched with a device that's appropriate for their strengths and needs. All settings have their go-to tools and devices that we try out with our students, but it seems that parents just default to what the private therapist recommends, as if that is somehow superior to what the school SLP would like to try. Um, So I just thought this was a really interesting conversation. And ironically, you know, Chris, you are in the schools. I'm in private practice. Um, So I think that this is is definitely a discussion that is worth bringing up on the podcast. Absolutely. So let's do it. Like what uh, I, you know, this is such a rich conversation that I think we're about to have. And that I mean, as evidenced in the Facebook group, because there's lots of comments in there. Part of this, I think, is going to also bleed over to, we've been talking for a while now about doing an entire entire episode with no interview, just about uh, trialing and assessments. And that's sort of at the heart of what this is, not exactly, but this question is about selecting the right communication system. And what the person is asking is, who gets to make that decision and how do we collaborate together to make sure it's the best decision? Yeah. And I think from my perspective and my experience, it's, I'm always happy to collaborate. You know, I love connecting with other SLPs in the schools. I think that the best approach is a collaborative approach. Uh, But a lot of times parents are coming to me because they're not getting what they need at school or they are second guessing what's happening at school. You know, so it's, it's sometimes hard to get the parents kind of on board with a collaborative approach, Um, you know, and that's, that's just a challenge that I've had to deal with in my practice. Um, You know, so how can, how can we as private practitioners address parents and try to support this collaborative approach? Because I'll be the first to tell you, sometimes parents come to me and they're like, I don't know what's happening at school. We're here because we need you to, you know, do the assessment or, um, so there's this idea that, you know, maybe they're not happy with what's happening at school. Um, and rightfully so with some of my clients, honestly, I've had a lot of clients who have been denied access to an AAC device because they're not ready. You guys can't see me right now, but I'm using air quotes. Um, so I think that that's part of, you know, what's going on. You know, parents know that technology can help their child communicate and they're just not able to do that through the school route so that they have to find a private practitioner. Um, You know, that's not always the case. And I would just really encourage 
both private practitioners and school SLPs, let's just open the dialogue. Um, you know, the first thing I do when I get a new referral is I ask, are they getting services at school? Are they getting services with another practitioner? Because I need to talk to both of those people. Um, and I think any part of a good assessment is talking to the clinicians that are already working on the case, you know, and I think that that's where we start in the assessment process, always talking to and collaborating with other people on the case. This is so, there's so much to unpack here. So first of all, we've been having the same conversations in a school level where the private speech therapist will make kind of go off and make their own choice and then not collaborate with the school's team. Or in some cases, it's um, uh, a device has already been chosen and the private speech therapist has now added a whole bunch of fringe vocabulary, let's say. And the school's like, what are you doing, private therapist? Like, and so all of that seems to be solved with communication. And so one thing that I'd like to kind of point out when we talk about all of this is that if you took all of the situations throughout the entire, I guess, world, let's, talk, let's say world, all the situations with kids using communication devices, how many of them are in the, in the camp where the private speech therapist has gone rogue or the school is not collaborating? And how many are actually working collaboratively? Because I find that the majority of cases with my involvement, the school-based therapist and the private speech therapist, we usually do work collaboratively together. Like it's not, that's not the, the rarity. That's the standard of how we, it's, there's these oddball cases where it doesn't work right. And I try and keep that in mind. Where it doesn't work often takes much more of your time and energy. But when it does work right, when you're collaborating together, uh, you just, it doesn't stick out in your mind because it's not a problem to be fixed, do you know? Yeah. And I think one solution to this is who is the bridge between school and private? It's the parents. And so I think both parties, both private practitioners and school SLPs, they can encourage a parent to have a collaborative approach. And I think that that's something that I do during every phone call that I have with a potential new client or an assessment or whatever, I'm pushing the collaboration. And oftentimes parents are surprised they're like, oh, you'll talk to the school SLP? And I'm like, I don't know what your experience has been thus far, but yes, of course I'll talk to that school SLP. That's like, you know, I have to talk to the school SLP to see what's going on. Um, so I think that we can both come to the parent and really push that collaboration because I think oftentimes, you know, parents don't even realize that's possible. They just think of them as these two separate entities, like, well, there's private and then there's school. Um, this idea of collaboration maybe doesn't even come up in their mind. So let's get deep here for a second, because um, the words talking and collaboration, uh, I think, need some definition, you know, like, what does that actually look like? Because what I think some people might hear when they say, like, talk to the private speech therapist or talk to the, the school-based speech therapist or collaborate with each other means get on the phone and argue with which, which side is right. <laughs> you know, dig your heels in and try and prove to the other person that what you think is right is the way you should go, right? And so... How can we avoid all of that? I think in some cases, assessments actually lead to that. And let, let me explain that for a second. You go to the public school and the public school, in order to get a device, might need to say, we need to do a, an assisted technology evaluation or an AAC evaluation. They get somebody to come in and do that evaluation and they write up a report. And at the end of that report, there's some sort of suggestion or recommendation that says, this is what we think the system should be. And then that report goes to the IEP team and the IEP team then sort of says, yes, yes, we agree. This is what the system should be. That's, I think, probably the most common way to get communication systems. 
Um, I could be wrong, but I think that's that's kind of the standard. Now let's take it from the private route. Same idea might happen is right. Well, okay, private person, we think the private person might think they need it. The student needs a communication device. They go off and do an assessment. They write up a report. Maybe they try three things. They submit that to the, the wherever they get the funding uh, source to, and then they get a device that way. And in each case, we have not talked to each other. And in each case, we've ended up with a report. That means we are digging our heels in saying, now I've already decided what I think is right, and you've already decided what you think is right, and now we have to defend our positions. So the way, in my mind, to prevent that from happening is the moment someone asks, that brings up the question, hmm, should this kid have a communication device? The very next question should be, well, is the school involved, or is there a private therapist involved? And then the very next thing we should do is get everyone in a room together, even virtually if you have to, I mean, because logistically sometimes that's hard, when I say everyone, I mean private speech therapist, school speech therapist, uh, assistive technology person if there is one, AAC coach if there is one, uh, administrator, uh, pretty much the IEP team. You get them in a room together and you do feature matching. Rather than digging in and saying, well, this is what I think it should be and this is what you think it should be, let's come up with a list of what the student's needs are and then have a conversation using this sort of framework of feature matching to help us guide the conversation. I don't know, what do you think? In every case, Let's start with getting people in the room together. I completely agree. I mean, I think that the first step is, you know, talking, but the ultimate goal is collaborating, right? And I think part of the problem is we're also busy. So it's like, and especially, you know, in the schools, it's like I have 70 kids on my caseload. Like it's hard to make these things happen. So obviously we're talking about an ideal situation. Um, you know, something that I think about is how can we use technology to make our work more efficient? And I have two suggestions. One, I think that just like you mentioned, Chris, having a virtual meeting totally possible in, in, you know, 2018. Um, it's super easy. They have free apps like Zoom and all these platforms that you can use to have a virtual meeting. Um, you can record these meetings so that people who aren't able to attend can, you know, watch. One thing that I really love is I have a calendar set up where people can book phone calls with me. So there's a lot of different apps that you can use. One's called Calendly. Another's, uh, the one I use is called Acuity. But basically, you put in your schedule. So if you're a school SLP, you know, you know, you have time from 12 to 12.15 and you have another gap from 1.30 to 1.45. Um, you can put your calendar in instead of this back and forth, which, you know, takes forever sometimes. It's like either you're calling back and forth and leaving voicemails or you're emailing back and forth trying to find a suitable time. You just say, I would love to set up a conversation. Here's my schedule. You know, for whatever reason, these times don't work. Please let me know. I'll wiggle some things around. Um, and you just people book calls and it's so easy. And it's just like, it pops up on my Google calendar and I'm like, okay, I have a phone call with this SLP and I have a phone call with the other SLP. And so it just makes things a lot easier, that simple act. Um, so I would encourage, you know, our listeners who are feeling like, sure, Rachel, like sounds great to just talk to all these people, but when, um, you know, that can be a really great time saver. Um, and I've just noticed in my practice, it's just, totally transformed my day. Um, I actually, because I'm in LA, I only talk to people when I'm driving. So <laughs> I have my, my, my wireless or my, my hands-free headset going and I only have times available for when I'm driving. And if those times don't work for somebody, you know, it's fine. I can pick up the phone and call them at a different time. I have availability, but for the most part, people just, you know, I email them a link and they, they sign up for a call. 
Yeah, exactly. I think another piece of technology might help there is some sort of shared document. So again, if you're working through a feature matching chart together, well, one idea is to project it up. You're all in the room together, you know, obviously project it up on the wall. But if you're not all in the room together, you could just be on the phone. You don't even have to see each other and you can at least be sharing the document. So you're still looking at the table that you're filling out where the first column is all the students' needs and all the considerations about the student and the environment and the, the tasks that we're asking the student to do. That's what, what you might put in the first column. And then the next columns over that you're looking at in the shared document might be the different tools that you'd be considering. Should it be application A, application B, application C? And then you kind of put check marks next to each need to see which one comes out in the wash as the one that, that maybe is the one you want to try first. And that could be your assessment. Yeah. I think something else that I try to always keep in mind is not everybody agrees with what I think, right? And so I think that's part of the problem is we all come with different ideas and sometimes we get stuck in those ideas. And I will be the first to admit that sometimes I'm like, no, I think this is a better idea. Um, So I think that one, we need to come to these collaborations and these meetings with an open mind. I think the feature matching, it really puts the emphasis on the child. And so I think that's great because it's like, okay, here are the features this child needs. Not like here's a system I know the best or here's the system, you know, that I I think is good because I trialed it and it, you know, it was the best. Um, So I think that personalizing it to the child by feature matching is really a strong approach. The other thing I think just we all could probably have a nice reminder in is just, you know, you get more bees with honey. And so I approach every collaboration. Really, my goal is I want you to have a good conversation with me. I want you to like me. And, you know, I think that we can all do so many great things if we can all just get along. So I think that part of it, it it doesn't even have to do with speech therapy. It has to do with just being open, um, listening to another practitioner and, you know, validating the things that they're seeing and their ideas. Um, Even if you don't necessarily agree with them, there has to be a shred of something that you're like, yes, I totally agree with you. Um, You know, sometimes people just need to feel like their ideas are heard and then they're more willing to, you know, move in a different direction because they don't feel like, you know, so defensive that it's like, well, my idea was shot down. So I just feel like I need to like put my fists up and defend it. There's a lot of ego in these conversations, right? And that's Mm -hmm. what you got to kind of check at the door and be willing to compromise and understand that maybe it's not going to go the way you think it necessarily needs to go. And you can't win them all necessarily. But maybe if you went in with the idea that it wasn't going to be a fight in the first place, you don't have a predetermined notion of what the answer is going to be. You're going in with a bunch of questions and we're going to come out together with answers, right? It's coming to a shared understanding. That's really the point behind having a meeting like that. Absolutely. I go into those meetings and I refuse to fight. Sometimes people try to pick fights with people that refuse to fight. (laughs) And so I'm just like, I try to keep it real cool and calm. And I'm like, you know, it's okay. Cause at the end of the day, you know, it has to be a conversation with the whole team. And sometimes we can kind of go back and forth to people about two different ideas. But, um, I think at the, at the end of the, the meeting, it's about like, what do we all collectively think? And so, you know, if somebody disagrees with me, I'm, I just think it's a better strategy to be open and figure out why, um, and just say what you know and what you think. And, I think that we can find a compromise. Most people can, can find a compromise if they're coming from the right place. I think there's something else to keep in mind with all of this and that we're sort of painting the idea of the, uh, the ideal situation, right? This is how we'd like it to work, right? This is how we want it to, to work for people. 
some of the things that came out in that Facebook group discussion, and again, I highly recommend you go over and start and, and just check it out, is that I realize that some people are coming from a different place. They have different experiences. They've had different uh, uh, trauma or turmoil in the past that influences their decisions. You know, I think one person in there was saying how they had had to move their whole family to try and find a school district that was willing to support their child in the way they felt they needed it to be uh, needed to be supported. Let me put it this way, Rachel. This is uh, my wife used to tell me this. I don't. I don't know if I've shared this analogy before, but you know me and my analogies. My wife would um, stay home with the kids while I went to, to work, and then we'd swap off in the afternoon where she would go to work and I would stay home with the kids, right? And we'd have this maybe hour overlap where we'd be together, and she, she would be like really short with them. And I'd be like, hon, why don't you just be more patient? Like, they're, they're, they're young kids. Like, just be patient. She'd be like, Chris, you're seeing the last five inches of this 500-mile rope, right? I've been patient all day long. You're coming in at the last end just seeing the last little bit. And sometimes I feel that that scene happens in these, in these conversations where I have come in to have a, or, or the school-based therapist or the private therapist are coming into parents that have already expended so much of their rope, you know, and so asking them to, to just be patient or just uh, let's try and come in with an open mind, you know, is not as easy for them because they have already been carrying this weight for years in some cases, you know? And so I just think I wanted to empathize with that, that standpoint is that it's, uh, it's not easy what we're asking people to do to continue to be patient when things have gone wrong for them in the past. No, absolutely. And I think that it's just my intention with this, you know, discussion is to just remind all of the clinicians out there that some of these parents have been through the ringer and just being sensitive to that. You know, they've been denied and, you know, all they want is what's best for their child. And all they want is to hear, you know, their child communicate and to hear what their child has to say and to support their child in the, in the way that they think is, is best. And so just being sensitive to that, I think it's just an important reminder. You know, we kind of all come with, with baggage and we come, you know, to the table with all types of things, but just remembering that at the end of the day, we're here to help. We're in a helping profession. So just keeping that, keeping that in the forefront. We could talk about this, I feel like, all day long, and maybe we should dedicate an entire episode to just this, kind of bridging the school-private gap, because I think there's a lot of uh, really useful resources that we can share and strategies that we can come up with, um, but we have a really exciting episode. So we're we're part two of our ASHA series. I was, I was hustling at the ASHA booth uh, doing lots of interviews, and today we are talking to Jenna Rayburn-Kirk, who I absolutely love. She was on the podcast podcast already. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, she stopped by our booth. We, we chatted, we, you know, we probably laughed and giggled a lot more than we talked speech therapy, but, uh, we had a fantastic time. Um, and then Marlene Cummings, who I absolutely love. I actually met her for the first time at ASHA. She was introduced to me through Rachel Langley, who I also love. And uh, Marlene was presenting at ASHA, and she's doing a lot of work similar to, to Jill Center and Matt Bod with communication partners and kind of changing the paradigm through which we think of AAC. Um, it's not this expert model where an AAC specialist comes in and is like, here's what to do, and then, you know, kind of flies out the door. Um, but really, how can we coach communication partners ongoing? Um, and so it's just, we had a really amazing 
conversation. I would love to have her back on the podcast to talk at, at more length and, and in more detail about, you know, what her strategies are and what her experience has been. Um, so I'm really excited for that one. And then last, we talked to Matt Hot. He hosts the Speech Science Podcast and he wasn't able to make it at ASHA, but he did call in while I was at the booth. And so we, uh, we just chatted back and forth for a little bit. Um, if you guys haven't listened to the Speech Science Podcast, it's fantastic and you definitely should uh, give a listen. Uh, Matt has the best radio voice. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? Oh, totally, totally. He's, uh, he's an old radio personality, I think. So yeah, he's definitely got the voice. So without further ado, let's hop on over to the ASHA interviews. Okay, well, I'm here with Jenna Rayburn. We're at ASHA, and she was so nice to stop by our booth. We just aired her episode, which you haven't listened to. You have to go listen. It was fantastic. Jenna, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I listened to the episode in the airplane on the way here. It was, like, so kind of weird. I was, like, listening to myself <laughs> lull myself to sleep. Uh, it was it was super weird. I, like, got the alert right when I was catching a 6 a.m. flight. So, of course, I'd been up since 3. So I was like, this is great. And then about the time it ended, I fell right asleep. It was perfect. And I woke up in Boston. Austin. It, it was the it was the best lullaby there. It was ever so could have weird been. and good. <laughs> it's so weird I, to listen to yourself. It really is. So I listen to all the episodes, and uh, it's just funny. Sometimes like people will observe me listening, and they're like, "Is that you?" I'm like, "Yeah." You know, it's a, and then I explain like I have a podcast, and I listen to it. <laughs> um, it's really funny. But um, I'm so excited that you're here. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing here. You're at the SLP Bloggers Table, which is fantastic. It was it was really fun. I was just over there, and it's it's popping off over there. Yeah, it is so fun to come to conferences like this. We did our first ASHA conference kind of as a group of individual um, bloggers and sellers and TPTers, um, Teachers Pay Teachers, in 2014. And that was so different because it was like, hey, here we are. We, we think we're going to do this thing. Actually, we're already doing it. We think it's cool. Do you guys does this fit with ASHA? Do you like it? <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing and we had to educate. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are new to our field that are like that. And Ash is a great place to do that. Like, here's what we're doing. What do you think about this? Give us some feedback. And now in 2018, it's a lot different. People are using social media. They're using the internet. They're blogging. They understand websites. And they're using their resources that they can instantly download. So it's a really different scene. And there's still people we're explaining ourselves to, but less. And now it's more like, oh, my gosh, it's so cool to hear and see from people who follow us and use our stuff. Exactly. And I feel like Teachers Pay Teachers has exploded. It's crazy. Um, yeah. You know, it's really, if you are an SLP and you don't know what Teachers Pay Teachers are, like, like are you hiding under a rock? Yeah. Because How are you surviving? That's the question. As issues in, within our field are slow to resolve, as they always are, caseload, workload, um, how we're how we're what kind of kids we're servicing in the school i was listening to a conversation earlier about dyslexia like are we servicing that how are we going to do that if we already have 80 kids on our case so it's all those issues are happening then what happens to your lesson planning time your resource time all that kind of stuff it goes away so this is the solution i've already tried this idea couldn't find it at the big box store companies the big wigs who have the big booths here at ash i couldn't find it so i made something for my student and then figured out a way to make it for you and you can download it and use it that same day it's so cool it's really thank goodness for technology i know and it's just amazing how we can all share materials in such a way yeah um, i'm trying to think of what was that site so long ago when, right when i was starting 
writing practice. Um, speaking of speech, or yeah. is that what it was? And what about like board maker share? I always oh use God, that yeah. too, right? You're like, <laughs> let me get my board maker CD and put it in so that whatever I download will work from board maker share. And I'm sure those still exist and are still helpful. Yeah. But the quality you get when someone is selling a resource, of course, is going to be so different. And when you download, I just uploaded some new AAC resources. Actually, they're like book um, sentence strips companion. So the first page you get is are the evidence-based links and you get the editable symbols. You can put any symbol you have in it. And that's so different than when you go to Boardmaker's Year and you're stuck with the symbols that person used for that one specific book. Exactly. It's and so that, different. And it's so nice to be able to edit because as we know, like it's like from one case to the next, it's so different. They're on different systems with different symbol sets and yeah. it's just, it's crazy. Uh, I was on an ethics panel earlier today and uh, Meredith, who is, uh, Meredith Harold, who is a uh, part of the informed SLP or she started the informed SLP so she's very research research oriented um, she talked about how do you how do you uh, is it is it our role when we're creating resources to provide evidence or mm -hmm. is it that the treating SLP who buys the resource it's their their you know kind of within their scope to know what's research based and make that decision um, so it's great to hear that you mm -hmm. are including resources and doesn't it probably fall on both of us exactly. really you know exactly. of course like everything when you buy a published book from any content creator here at ASHA, there's probably one page in the front that talks about, okay, this is this matches visual support, so this is visual modeling, and here's, here's the research for that. But it doesn't tell you every specific new and updated research article that's been out in visual mod modeling since it was first published. You know, we have to know the research too. I think it, I think it falls on both of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good conversation to have, though. It was, and it sparked it sparked a, a nice little uh, flow of conversation. And I I thought about it through the lens of my own materials, and I have videos on YouTube. And at one point, someone someone had asked me about research regarding one of the things that I was talking about, and this was you know maybe a year ago. And I thought, wow, you're right. Like I didn't I didn't cite research because I feel like I I speak these things. I know these things so you know it's like. To my core, I can talk about, you know, aided language simulation and core words right. and all these things, but I forget that not, you know, the people that are consuming the information that I'm sharing, they don't have that foundation. So I need to kind of cite the sources. So then I, of course, went back and put the resources mm -hmm. or uh, the, the citations in uh, some of the, the videos that we created. And but I think some of the things that are hard about that is, like, a lot of times, because if you're a school-based clinician and you're principal wants to see the evidence that this resource w worked like in our field we have research that supports strategies and ideas but we usually don't have direct research on every little every little thing like the exact articulation yes. card is not researched this exactly. photo of a frog for our blends <laughs> is not been compared to another frog photo <laughs> to see which one is going to create the most efficient generalization of the word frog like that does not exist but in a reading curriculum that's how they sell those they yeah. take a test study and they put kids through it and then they say, okay, in six months this kid went from AR1 to whatever the next reader level is yeah. and, and that's sometimes what administrators are looking for and you're not going to find that anywhere in speech therapy curriculum but I think as, as people who are content creators we have to think about that that's what some administrators are used to looking for and I think that's changing. I think there's a lot of value in clinical expertise and teaching expertise and so I think that that worldview is changing a little bit but it like everything it's a slow change so um, 
I think it's everybody's responsibility to be ethical in that, but you're also not going to find <laughs> the frog research. <laughs> Listen, I think you're going to spearhead the, the frog research. No, thank research. you. Pass. Hard pass on that for me. Uh, no, no, Jonah? Not into the frog research? No, thanks. <laughs> the articulatory artist situation. I'm not, I'm not getting into that. Articulation and picture drawing. And no, no, thank you. No, thank you. You like uh, the digital version, I right? would rather hang out in the digital world, yes, where I just make it and I show you how it works for my caseload and then what evidence I have and we'll work together to make sure your principal agrees. Exactly. So have you seen any great sessions? Are you are you just in the exhibit hall or are you heading I've to some I've popped into a couple sessions. Yeah, I, what I can't believe is how big ASHA is this year. It's crazy. And the problem is that when I go to sessions, five minutes before most of them are full. Yeah. It's been crazy. The overflow rooms are overflowing. The overflow rooms, They once they asked me to go to the second level to find an overflow room, I was like, oh, I think no. No, Feels I don't like think so. too hard. I'm going to find something else. So I saw a cool one yesterday about assistive technology in uh, birth to three, which was oh, kind of interesting. that is interesting. Uh, none of the technology was really new to me, but the... Um, Parts that were new to me, that were like good reminders to me were things with motor, motor development and mm. speech development and how those go together and the things you can look for. And I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, well, you don't really hear about AAC in you know birth to three. No, it was um, really it was kind of good. It was it was, and she was mostly focusing on those kids who you know are going to have. Like they maybe they have a chromosomal disorder, and you kind of know, okay, seventy percent of these children are nonverbal or nonambulatory. Right. Why aren't we? Why are we waiting till four to give them a power wheelchair, and why are we waiting to get them a communication option exactly. until then? We need to start really young. Yeah, um, and how they can. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, listen, Jenna, we're so thankful that you came and stopped by Thanks to, for having me. to have us again. I just feel like I can't, can't get I enough know, Jenna. I know. We just talked, and it's really good. Really? <laughs> we'll I just mean, keep I'm going to call you next week and the week right. after. We'll just check in, <laughs> see how the frog research is going. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> listen, I'm so excited to, to share even more Jenna Rayburn with Thank our you. audience. Um, so thanks for stopping this by. This is super fun, you guys. This is a sound booth in the middle of Asha in I the mean, exhibit hall. It, right? I'm sure you'll go look up a picture after you see this. Exactly. You listen we'll, to this. We'll definitely snap a photo. <laughs> um, it's been it's been fun. You know, it's amazing that the sound quality is still good. I can't believe it. Uh, I know. In the headphones it is at least. Exactly. So I'm sure it will be. Well, we'll, we'll see, right? Proof's <laughs> in the pudding. <laughs> All right, Jenna. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so I'm here with Marlene Cummings. I'm really excited. We're in ASHA 2018, and Marlene is presenting tonight, and I'm super excited. Uh, Rachel Langley actually introduced me to Marlene, and I am really pumped that she stopped by our booth, and I want to just introduce her and let her tell her tell a little bit about herself and about what she's presenting on tonight. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Um, I'm excited to be here. One of the things that I love about AAC, which is my specialty and my passion, is how we can spread the word, how we can build capacity in classrooms and in buildings and in districts. Um, we cannot be the expert any longer. We have to really share the wealth because there's just too many students out there to serve. And so today I'm gonna to be presenting on what that looks like to move from an expert to a collaborative model. Mm -hmm. So it's not really all or nothing, it's 
um, looking at the whole piece, all the pieces, and figuring out where you need to be the expert, where you can collaborate with the team, and then where they can just take over and serve the students. And so tonight we're going to be talking about how we think through that. Are there people already in the district doing things like that? Um, what's that mindset shift that we have to have? Um, so I'm real excited to uh, be able to talk about it. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. I don't even like using the, the the word expert because that you know has this air that I know exactly what to do in all situations, and I tell you what to do. Um, I just really think that we need to support a coaching model when it comes to the teachers and the other SLPs that we're working with. And I think that you know the the more we can do to shift the paradigm, uh, the better. Um, so my my follow up question to you then is you know what are some things that we can start doing that actually do shift that paradigm because what what's happening you know in a lot of the classrooms I'm coming into is they just say okay Rachel will figure it out it's AAC related um, and you know I'm like no no that's not exactly how this works so how do we kind of spread that awareness so one of the things we've been doing is we provide a foundational series of pretty much basic AAC that to create that shared knowledge with the teams we're working with because we discovered that with AAC there were lots of terms and, and thinking out there that was very different um, than we expected and so we do the, the shared knowledge, the foundational series, but we've also implemented something called job embedded professional learning. And so we go into the districts and they choose the goals that they want to um, look at and progress through that year. And then we go out four to six times and we do a coaching mentoring model right in the classroom with the students. And so we're not directly serving the students, we're supporting the team. Mm -hmm. um, and we have seen huge gains. And that's one of the ways we've been able to shift the mindset um, so that we truly are collaborating. Yeah, so Jill, Jill Center and Matt Bod, they're coming back here for an interview. I, I've wrangled them in. Um, do you use their framework? Um, in fact, they're coming to present at Oakland Schools in December. Um, and in, uh, in fact, Jill just recently asked us to do one of the blog posts for USAC. And so that's our team talking about job embedded professional learning. Awesome. Um, and so we use lots of their strategies as well as others. Uh, amazing. I think that anything that we can do to kind of just, like I said, shift that paradigm um, is really, really important. Um, for the for our listeners out there who are clinicians, um, maybe they're AAC consultants in the schools, um, are there anything, is there any quick strategy that they can start implementing um, to, to change the, the paradigm of expert versus collaborative model? Like what are some, some things that people can start doing right away in their practice? So some of the focus that we have, especially in our professional learning, is we always try to support a core vocabulary approach mm -hmm. so that we can get more unified language available um, rather than having the teacher have to learn seven or eight different systems. Now we know that we want those individual systems available, but to have that set of core words that they can get used to and use in their instruction, we also use aided language input, so we use you know different models. The other thing that we talk a lot about is um, direct vocabulary instruction because teachers are really excited about being able to do that systematically. So the collaboration comes with the speech paths coming in and then the teachers being able to take it over. Mm -hmm. um, and those strategies have worked really well for us. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so. For anybody leaving your presentation tonight, what's the one takeaway you want them to, to, to walk away with? 
So we're going to, um, during the presentation, we're going to be filling out a form where they're going to be choosing actions. And so I want them to be able to leave with what they are going to do next. So what they've already figured out, their um, culture, what their current status is, and what the next steps are. I think that's genius. I uh, Every call I am on, any type of, you know, meeting I'm a part of, I always end with an action step. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's so important because we have all these great ideas and if we don't think through that that next step, it's just like, okay, what now how do I put this into action? Then, you know, it's easy to just, it floats out of our brain and off of our priority list and it's gone. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's so important actually. I'm thinking through the presentation I just gave last night and I'm like, I don't know if I went over. I always have takeaways, but I feel like uh -huh. an action step is such a, a good idea. I actually uh, just presented at a conference in Los Angeles, mm. and uh, it was about apps and autism, not specific to AAC. And I had an action step list because I knew that I was going to give you know 40 recommendations for apps to try, and I'm like, that's way too much. I know you know parents are going to be like so overwhelmed with that. So I was like, listen, pick your top two, mm -hmm. and you know download them pick a one routine and you know embed it before dinner time or you know after dinner time and keep it simple because I feel like that's when you see the most success with with carryover and generalization is when you make it approachable and it's not overwhelming and daunting absolutely we talk about being fed through a fire hose and it feels that way in some of the conferences and sessions and so we really encourage people to break it down to be very intentional because that's the only way change is going to happen mm -hmm. is if we do step by step and we can can't take it all on and so when we do our professional learning we have people take one action with each category or focus that we have and move forward with that and then prioritize those so that they can truly accomplish something by the end of the year which they feel great about because sometimes we don't even know what we did during a year because it's so hectic and busy and it's like did I do anything and yet they pull out their action plan and they're thrilled that so many things were accomplished absolutely I feel like you blink and the school year's over and you're <laughs> Like, did, did I just do that? Did that happen? Um, which is one of the reasons that I love, you know, Jill and Matt's work is because mm -hmm. I think that baseline is so important. Um, see how far you've come. Um, and I think that it's something that, it's a skip that we often, we, we overlook. Um, and it's such an important piece of, of the puzzle. And, and, and it motivates you to keep going when you mm -hmm. see where you've come from. Um, and constantly checking in on, wow, I didn't even realize, that, you know, that was my starting off point. Like, look how far I've come. Because when you're in the day-to-day, -day, you don't, you can't take a step back and kind of look big picture. So mm -hmm. Marlene, thank you so much for stopping by. I'm so excited to share all of this on our podcast with all of our listeners. Um, good luck with your presentation tonight. Um, and we'll have to we'll have to have you on the podcast for a, a full episode. Well that would be great. Thank you so much for the invitation. Awesome. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. We're live with Matt Hot. Rachel, how's it going all the way out there in Boston? I am so sad that I am not out in Boston with you all this week. It is. It's. I'm tired, Matt. I have to be honest. It's day three of the conference, and it's. Um, it's been a whirlwind. It's been amazing. So, so many great speakers here. So many people doing amazing things. But I'm tired, and I think everyone here is a little tired. So my question is, how many super duper bags are you walking away with this weekend? <laughs> Listen, I'm anti-super duper bags. I have to be honest. I see them. I cringe. Um, but they're, they're everywhere. Um, they're actually a little more muted this year than, than normal. I think there's, there's less bright colors. I mean, they're still pretty, 
pretty bold, if you will, but um, but I think they're they're more muted than I've seen in, in the past. I, I I do actually enjoy a super duper bag because they are kind of waterproof, so they always were nice to throw my science experiments in for the little guys. But <laughs> I get it. So, what has been your best moment of Asha this week? Well, you know, honestly, I I feel really excited that I was able to present. So I was at, um, I presented on Thursday night, which was awesome, um, just AAC and autism. And then yesterday I had the privilege of being on a panel with a bunch of awesome boss ladies. Uh, Mei Ling was the moderator and we talked about ethics, uh, which sounds really dry and boring, but we really brought uh, a fresh perspective and we really tried to, to talk about things like technology and how they impact our ability to maintain our code of ethics while we're creating digital content. Um, so it was really, it, that was that was the highlight for me is being a part of that amazing panel. Uh, actually at the end of our presentation, someone from the, uh, a retired member of the board of ethics was in the back. He was very, it was a, um, an older regal looking man. He raised his hand and he was like, I have a, I have a comment. And we're like, oh no. And then he he went on to say, you know, how impressed he was with our, our presentation, and he was intrigued by the topic, and um, he just gave us a very flattering compliment. So um, that was that was the highlight for me. I, at first, I was like, oh no, have I said something unethical? <laughs> but luckily, he was he was impressed. That is awesome. So when I went to Denver, there was a giant blue bear in the convention center. Is there anything that is the that we could all be talking about at Asha this week? You know, n- no, not that I've seen. Uh, luckily, there's there's not that this year. Um, you know, but I will say, this is one of the biggest Ashes there is. 18,000 people are here, uh, which I think is is wild. That That's a huge amount of speech therapists. So it's, um, it's, quite, it's quite full in the Boston Convention Center. Now, did you get to venture outside of the convention center, or have you been, been inside all three days? You know, I, I ventured out last night. So Thursday night I got in. I flew in. I got a 6 a.m. flight out of L.A. I was, you know, making a mad dash to the airport to get to my, my talk by 6.30 p.m. And then, again, I, talk, I t- uh, spoke on Friday. And so last night was my big night out. And, you know, I found myself at a, a karaoke bar and... Uh, now I'm feeling really tired the next morning. <laughs> so, Rachel, my question then, I guess, is when do you jump on the planning committee? When are you going to join an ASHA planning committee? Oh, man. I, you know what, Matt? I got a lot on my plate. <laughs> so, like, I'm not sure. Like, maybe 20 years? 20 years from now, maybe things will slow down for me? <laughs> hey, I'll make a promise. If you do it in 20 years, I will sign up to be your co-chair. How's that sound? <laughs> All right, all right. We'll make a plan 20 years out. I'm in. (laughs) Now, will you be going to Orlando next year? You know, I was thinking about that, and I probably will. I've been to the last few years of ASHA, and it's just such an amazing opportunity to connect with people, um, especially because I have an online business. Um, It's so great meeting people who... I have met online and I feel like I know really well online to meet them in real life is just really exciting. And I feel like the the networking component of being here and being around, you know, a ton of other SLPs who are doing amazing things is motivation to, to go to Orlando, not to mention the weather, the Boston, not, not so good. Uh, it snowed the first night here, but, um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for some warm weather in Orlando next year. 
Well, if you go to Orlando next year, I've already convinced my wife to let me and her, we're going to go down to ASHA. Yes. We make plans for a Talking With Tech Speak Science live broadcast. How's that? I'm so in. Um, Yes, I am excited. I think the more we can get a bunch of SLP podcasters together, the better. Um, You know, we've been having so much fun here doing live interviews and Facebook lives. And it's just been it's been really exciting. And everyone's stopping by like, what what's what's happening? Who's recording a podcast? So it's um, it's been really great. And speech science tech talking with tech, you know, combo live session sounds right up my alley. Okay, so my other question is, I know I'm not there physically, but have you seen my face over by the headshot <laughs> photo booth? L- listen, I've been getting your texts, and I'm, like, looking frantically for that face. So I will, I promise you this, I will, after we hop off this recording, I will search tirelessly for your face, and I will try to take a selfie. I can't find it. We can't find it. But you know what? I'm not going to stop looking. She sent me a picture of it. It is over where I guess you get your professional headshots taken. Okay. This is good. I have some intel now. Okay. Headshots, pillar, camera. These are keywords that I'm going to write down and I will find it. It's going to be like a scavenger hunt for Matt Hot's face. <laughs> well, Rachel, you have a wonderful time. Thanks so much for letting me call in and just, you know, serendipitously living the Ash life through you for just four or five minutes. Absolutely, Matt. As always, it's such a pleasure talking with you. I love the Speech Science Podcast, so um, I'm excited. Whenever whenever you say you want to hop on a podcast, I'm game. Awesome. I I will hold you to that. Thank you, Rachel. All right. Take care, Matt. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.